The Roundball Project is brought to you by Striptease, the one-stop shop for the discerning Australian football fan. They specialise in designing football-centric shirts, hoodies, phone cases and masks. Yes, masks. Plus a whole lot more so you can look as good around town as you do at the game. Find them at striptease.com.au. That's S-T-R-I-P-T-E-E-S dot com dot A-U. Enjoy the podcast. Did the fullback bring him down? First time, maybe even second time. Still we go on. Juric has dribbled his way clear. Welcome to the Round Ball Project. I'm your host, Neil Simons, and joining me is acclaimed football and AFL journalist for the Sydney Morning Herald and uh, soccer Twitter legend, in my opinion, uh, Ventogari. I've chased this man down for over two months. So first things first, I must apologize for all the stress of us accords you, right, <laughs> but I'm really zero, glad we uh, got onto this. Zero stress, man. All good. Um, apologies <laughs> for giving you the runaround. I can't believe it's been two months. That's the... That's the kind of year it's Yeah, been. yeah. I think um, the, the two months is to consist of the, the whole Fox Sports debacle, which was, uh, that was a lot to deal with. So uh, definitely really glad we can finally get onto this. But uh thought we'd take a deep dive into your, well, not really exactly so deep, but a semi-deep uh, dive into your footballing endeavors so far. So uh, how did you first get involved within the industry? And what about Australian football entices you? Uh, good question. Um Really good question. So it started when um, uh, I was at uni. I, I studied. Uh, I started out studying journalism and sports management, but I did a semester of journalism. I actually wasn't into it, so I changed my degree and did communication, uh, and was looking at uh, something in the PR space. Um, I got an internship through my uni with Gold Coast United, which uh, anyone who follows me on Twitter will know I'm, I'm pretty much obsessed with. That's because. Uh, that club was one of the, not the first, but one of the first avenues through which I fell in love with, with football and the game. Um, how close? I grew were you, up on Adelaide City with, um, games. With, yeah, how close were you with um, with, with Clive Palmer? Yourself, not that close. Uh, with Clive Palmer. Uh, I, I dealt with him a few close. times. Oh, damn it! Oh, fair. <laughs> anyway, continue yeah, on. Sorry yeah. about that. <laughs> I met him a couple of times, but nothing major. Uh, all good. Um, so, uh, where was I? Yeah, so I grew up going to Adelaide, United, Adelaide City games and Adelaide United games. Obviously, fell in love with the Socceroos again at the 2006 World Cup because um, that was just massive. So, everyone, uh, like football was, was there in my life always. But being up close and personal with a club and, uh, I don't know, just seeing things at close quarters um, during that experience was really good for me. But um, that, wasn't, that, that wasn't quite the trigger that... that got me into the industry. The trigger was um, a friend of mine who I was at uni with uh, was reporting for Sportle, the website, um, which is no longer operational, unfortunately. It was a great website, um, good reporting back in the day. Uh, he, uh, yeah. from memory, I think he moved to London or something like that. So he needed someone to take over the job, which was to basically report on uh, A-League and AFL, NRL, rugby and all that stuff in Southeast Queensland. Um, and I... I don't know. I was like, oh, I don't want to do that. I'm not really ready for it. But um, some people around me at the time were like, nah, do it, man. You'd be great at it. 
just go for it. And I sort of reluctantly um, took the opportunity because it fell in my lap. And then um, basically <laughs> the rest is history. Like I guess it worked out. And um, I, I entered the journalistic rat race for, um, you know, what's been like more than 10 years now, almost 10 years, which is crazy. But um, it was it was almost by accident, I could say, that I that I landed in the industry. And, and the other question about what entices me about Australian football is, um, I don't know, it's us. Like, uh, I'm into football, right? But I am way more into Australian football, domestic football than I am. Uh, overseas leagues or anything like that. Like I, I barely watch any European football myself. I, I, I stay abreast with what's happening, but I'm more into the stuff that happens on our shores and how we can be better. Because um, for me, football in Australia is um, it's a beautiful thing. It's uh, it, it reflects so much of Australian society. Um, it is the only sport really of the football codes that um, crosses all state and territory boundaries and can reach any part of the country, and therefore any part of Australian culture. And it is also the sport that can best bring that Australian culture to, uh, you know, countries overseas and sort of, um, you know, um, uh, it, it, it's a way for us to communicate with other countries in that way. It's, it's, and it's really cool. It's authentic. It's, 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 it's an insane world, Australian soccer. Like um, anyone who spent five minutes uh, on soccer Twitter would know that it's a very... Um, you know, um, hotly contested, very hotly contested, but also like it's kaleidoscopic type thing. Like it's, uh, there's so many people with so many different takes and views and experiences. And it is just so diverse in, in good ways and also a couple of bad ways, but it's, um, I wouldn't change it. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing to be involved with. And it's the the kind of thing that I want to hopefully stay involved with for my life. Yeah, I guess that's really like, it's sort of the beauty well, I guess now many people would consider it the struggle, but I guess it's there's a certain beauty and sort of u- level of uniqueness about Australian football that really entices us. I think, especially you know myself coming from a migrant background, it's uh, really essential that we are able to implement um, our our uh, sort of family family lineage and history into our you know local community clubs or MPO clubs. And I think it's really beautiful that uh, this can continue through generations from generation to generation. Yeah, hundred percent, man. And um, uh, look, it, it, even that is a complicated discussion because um, that is like the whole um, yeah, exactly um, array of ethnic clubs out there is like definitely like probably the coolest thing about Australian football. It's something that not many other countries have. It's not something that not many other sports have. It is like brutally raw and diverse, and it is the reflection of Australian multiculturalism at its fullest. But it is also maybe one of the things that has held us back as a game in terms of um, connecting to the mainstream, which is like disappointing, but it's almost like the the reality of what Australia is and mainstream Australia is really like. They don't like their multiculturalism confronting. They don't want to have to think about, um, you know, things that uh, are outside of the general Anglo-Australian experience. So um, it's, it's, it's been the blessing and the curse, I guess, but I think the lessons of the last... 15 years of the A-League and the 30 yeah, years definitely. of the NXL before that show that there's good and bad on both sides. And for me, the way forward for the game is... is it's it, how you get the right balance. It's a blend, man. It's totally a blend. Yeah, and, exactly. and that's one of the things that I'm excited about, what the game looks like going forward, is that we're going to exactly. have to find a blend. And I think if we find the right blend, um, the game is going to speak to a lot of people. 
but it doesn't right now. And I'm really excited about that. Exactly. So what's sort of the, the day in the life of Vince Ugari, I guess, uh, with I guess within the soccer sphere or football sphere, sorry, my bad. Um, and I guess uh, what's like the communication like, obviously with your administrators like yourself, James Johnson, uh, Gregor Rourke, and I guess the clubs as well. And how do these stories sort of come about usually in like a on a day day to day basis? Well, the day in the life thing is is, is just it's really not that exciting. Uh, <laughs> get up, have breakfast, and just yeah, hit grind. Um, we we obviously have. Um, you know, I've been doing this for a little while now, so I'm able to have lines of communication to certain people in the game, which is which is good. But I tell you what, the last few months, it's been hard to get a hold of some of these guys. Um, cause, oh, really? Uh, well, I mean, look at what's happening in sport. Like, it's uh, staff, yeah, exactly. staff levels um, at all organizations are reduced dramatically. So what, what, what you're left with is guys who are working on skeleton staffs trying to figure out all the answers to the questions that people are asking themselves about what happens now post-COVID. While they're trying to figure them out, we're basically hitting them on the phones every day, just being like, "Hey, have you figured it out yet?" And they're sort of still trying it. Yeah. If, if that if, if that makes sense, that's like a condensed version of what it's been like. It's been frustrating, <laughs> um, but it's 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 been good. And um, in terms of where the stories come from, uh, a lot of times just I don't know things you hear from other people, things that uh, the way you you know uh, the way you twig things in your own brain. Like uh, sometimes I'm, I might just. Uh, you know, be sitting around having having a coffee or in the shower or something, and you get a story idea, or a couple of things that were disconnected in your head come together, and it's like, oh, I should find that out, or I should ring this person and talk yeah, exactly. about that. Um, so it's it's sort of it's sort of based on like your own intuitions, as, not as opposed to the sort of herald just saying, oh, you do this. Is it more of just a sort of personal, personally driven task, or is yeah, it yeah, sometimes it, yeah, some, yeah, we don't really some rejection. It doesn't really work in terms of um, the boss comes to you every day and says, find this out, find that out. Um, He's too busy with the, you know, twelve other journo's doing their own grind sort of thing. It, it's it's up to you as an individual journalist to figure out where the stories are, what they are, present them in mm. a way that is interesting, and and, and and get the stuff together. So almost exactly. everything I do, I'd say ninety nine point nine percent of the stuff I do comes from uh, ideas I have on my own brain, and um, and even you know, even just re- one of the most valuable things about soccer Twitter for me is is reading the the many, many different perspectives and opinions of people. And sometimes you might exactly. see something that's like, uh, that again, twig something in your brain that you just have to go and chase up. Um, so yeah, that, 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 that's generally how it happens. That's how the, uh, the sausages are made, so to speak. <laughs> uh, just like to speak on Dominic Bossy, so the dynamic duo of yourself and Dom, um, how is it like to sort of uh, work with him? Obviously, not many football-centric writers in the same institution. Uh, pretty rare nowadays, especially with all the media departures. But um, what's the relationship like with Dom? And I guess, uh, how do you guys sort of cultivate such a, I guess, comfortable reader base? Well, uh, for myself, I'd, I'd say it's it's a, honestly a delight to see the reports you guys put out. It's very consistent, <laughs> for sure. But um, just on Dom, what, what, what are your thoughts? Obviously, um, haven't spoken to him directly, but I'm sure he's a very nice individual to deal with. Yeah, th- thanks for the nice words, man. Um, it's um, yeah, me and Dom are, are pretty tight. Um, we speak pretty much every day about what we're doing and what we're chasing and uh, and the things that we're trying to line up. Um, and I think uh, we 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 um, complement each other quite well in different ways. Like, um, you know, he's a different type of writer to our, the, 
than what I am, and we have different like we have some similar contacts in the game, but we also have different contacts that don't necessarily overlap, and we also have different ways that we think about the game and different um, different little hobby horses that we're also always trying to advance or, or, or things like that. So um, it really is, a, is, like you said, a dynamic duo. I, I really enjoy working with Dom. Uh, sometimes we team up on things. Most of the time we, 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 we roll out our own stories individually. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely helpful having someone like him uh, in your corner uh, to help maybe fill in some gaps that you weren't aware of or, or, or vice versa. If he's got something and I can help bring something to the table on that, then it's really good. But, um, yeah, man, he, he's also a, a, just a fantastic writer, a, a massive news hound as well in the game. Finds out so much stuff that um, yeah. doesn't usually come out yeah. otherwise, you know. Um, yeah, I think, he, um, I think he broke the St. George sort of home home football for the um, Matildas and Australian national teams, which uh, last week, that was a big report. Yeah, so, and also one of the biggest ones, I think, uh, I can't remember if it was late last year or this year, but was the um, uh, the Hyundai deal, the fact that Hyundai was leaving. Oh, yes, that's right, and exactly. Like, I just, I, I, yeah. I don't know if, um, if Dom didn't find that out, that maybe it would never have been reported and then all of a sudden we'd get exactly. to the end of the season and it's like, oh, Hyundai's gone, but he knew. So that's what <laughs> yeah. um, being in the game for a long time does. It means you're able to um, does do. Yeah, exactly. uh, cultivate those contacts and, 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 and establish a level of trust with people in the game that they're not afraid to come to you if you've got something uh, that is newsworthy and should be reported. Yeah, so I guess how does it really feel to, I guess, well, I consider, I guess many people consider as well that you're rising, rising rising uh in the ranks of the sort of Australian football journalism sphere given uh the departure of so many unfortunately being uh just name up a couple a couple of names here Simon Hill Daniel Garb uh Val uh Ray Gatt David Davudovic Matt Windley um so many more uh to be honest but it's a real shame but uh how's it sort of feel to sort of I guess feel that void in, in a way and uh sort of are there any young journalists that really catch your eye that could possibly I wouldn't say replace because everyone's sort of individual but uh sort of take the reins per se of these uh, esteemed writers and journos? Uh, I'll tell you how it feels. It feels like uh, Stephen Bradbury would have felt at the, uh, I think, 2002 <laughs> uh, Salt Lake Olympics. Was it Salt Lake? I can't remember. Where basically the I entire field fell in front of him and he won the gold medal by default effectively. That's how I feel. I feel like uh, everyone who uh, I've looked up to recently and uh, you know tried to emulate and people who I can call my friends as well, are the people you've just listed, um, Agonskis, and it's really sad. It's it's not good for. I mean, selfishly, for, you might yeah, think it's maybe. good because it's like, okay, where else? No, it's not. It's where horrible. else people going to get no. your stories? But it's it's not good at all because um, journo's like players need competition. Like if you're if you're the only left back at a, at a football club, for instance, you know you're playing every week, but you might get lazy at some point, and it's the it's the competitive tension that drives you in sport and in journalism as well. And it's not good for the game because we're losing people who are inside those newspapers and industries every day, pushing their editors to give more space and more respect to football. And, 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 and that's being lost and it's disappointing. Um, in terms of uh, who's coming through the, to, to replace those people, like um, look, there's a lot of talented writers out there. Um, the, the issue is, uh, and, and, and this is how much the industry has changed since like I was in that position, which really wasn't that long ago, but there are less and less paid positions available for journos who are needing mm. to work their way up the ranks. Like um, after I worked for Sportal, which was paid, 
that website doesn't exist, for instance. There you go. I worked in country New South Wales. So country newspapers are being decimated at the moment. Um, oh, yeah, absolutely. It's harder than ever to find a job out there. Um, and then when you do, like, you can't have the same level of um, focus on sport that I did maybe back then because um, there's just so many resources being taken away and, and people have got to use their own time to fill the gaps that make that's made. So that, that was one avenue. Uh, country Queensland I worked in as well in Cairns, same deal. Everything up there is just getting cut and um, the journalism is the is the victim out of that. Uh, and then I worked for AAP. And AAP, as we know right now, like almost died. It's still going. Yeah, um, exactly. Which is good. They got Luckily. bought out by a new company. But um, yeah. But uh, you'd expect there'd be a lot, a lot of redundancy. Massive, well, like it's happening. It's happening as we speak, like over the last exactly. week, and 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 more about people who are losing their jobs because it's going to be a much smaller operation. So, um, when we talk about young journalists coming through, I look at all of the things that I was lucky enough to be able to do, and I feel like the the door was slammed shut straight after I got through. You know, like the the industry is changing big time. Do you think the? Do you think sorry to interrupt, but do you think these um these slides like a, like a, like the raw or even some sort of internship positions that I guess institutions like FTBL or um, FNR Radio that they offer can, I guess, unearth these new writers. Definitely. And th- and they're all definitely good. And like FNR, like I listen to it all the time. There's some, some ab- absolutely sensational shows and, 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 and talents being, uh, you know, um, conveyed through there. And that's good. But um, like a lot of the things you've just mentioned are like uh, either, either volunteer run or not paid in terms of a, part or a full-time basis for, for people and it's very hard to dedicate yourself to the level that you need to to climb the ladder in the way that I've done which I know from experience without being able to commit your full time to it like if I didn't have the opportunity to do the things that I've done I wouldn't be here um, it, it, it's, it's, it's difficult and it, and it makes me sad for the future of journalism but um, with the industry in flux the way it is um, quality always prevails and quality will come through um, regard, like eventually we, we don't know what the business model of this thing is going to look like in five years let alone ten you know but what I do know is well, that let, there let, is a let's hope it's better with this uh, with this recent well you'd hope there'd be a surge in, in, in the media um, potential of, of, of football well, in Australia you, considering the you'd hope so. for the World Cup obviously but what, but at the same time the media industry itself is, is, is battling so, exactly. so it's, it's, I don't know if yeah, it's going to come back to maybe what we're changing. used to but what, what I was saying was mm. um, there's always going to be a thirst for quality content and that's definitely always going to be the case so if you're someone who's finding out good info or providing like unique analysis that makes people think in a way they didn't think before or really interesting interviews with people who have not spoken about certain things or whatever, then that stuff is always going to get interest. The question is, how are you going to get paid for that and how can you make that into your job? Now, that has always mm. been, um, not always been, like that. that's that's now the, the, the trick. Like it's, it's harder than ever to make that work for you on an individual basis so you can commit everything to it. Um, yeah. I hope that changes. But um, looking at the industry yeah. and the amount of people who are losing their jobs at the moment, it's a little bit hard to have faith that it will. But um, fingers crossed, eh? Fingers crossed, absolutely. So if it's a uh, tumultuous couple of weeks within Australian football, the, the Fox Sports uh, deal that which you broke, I've uh, got a very funny story about that <laughs> in a couple of minutes. Uh, the news does not stop this week. The FFA released the 11th principles paper, uh, which detailed the next steps that Australian football must take. Uh, within that document included the need for a structured and detailed transfer system. Uh, besides that, I guess, what were some of the key points that you took from that 
from that piece. I'm sure you've had a, a look at it. It's a very long document. Um, Nick Rapolo has done a brilliant piece uh, on, on YouTube. So I will, I think I've re, I think I've re, we've uh, retweeted that on our Twitter. Uh, but is there anything that you really took from that or derived from that that you, that you want to speak on? Uh, to be honest, um, I haven't given it the full uh, sit-down read-through Neither, yet because um, it's massive and I need to dedicate proper time to it and, I, and I've had a bit of AFL on the last few days, unfortunately, but um, I will get to it. But um, I mean, there's so much, I, I have given it a skim and there's so much interesting stuff in there that um, that's, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing you want to be hearing from FFA, but ultimately it's, it's a list of aspirations, this document, which is a good thing. Exactly. But it doesn't give us the roadmap for us to get there. All, all, all that stuff comes next and that's where the, the challenges lie because it's very easy to say, all right, we want, you know, the A-League to be one of the top three leagues in Asia. That's, that's noble. I think we should absolutely be aiming for that, but it's going to take money and a lot of other things for us to get there. And all of the things in the document are sort of interconnected because, for instance, if we're talking about needing more money, then um, one of the ways we can get that money is by establishing a, like a proper transfer system in Australia. So that's that's one part of it. But there's, you know, all these other parts that basically Australian football is an interconnected beast where all the problems and all the opportunities are linked up with each other. And, and you can't just fix one thing because to fix one thing, you need to fix about 10 other things for it to get running in the way you need it to. Um, so, I mean, for me, in terms of the things that were, were quite interesting was definitely the, um, you know, the, the transfer system was a big one. I think also the timing of the season calendar and the changes that are being discussed. To I think that, yeah, I, I, I definitely and... think that the transfer system is going to be the main thing that they're going to focus on. I think it'd be really interesting to see what happens in the next couple of months, especially with uh, Riley, uh, Robbie Cornthwaite coming out with a report yesterday on Riley McGree. It'd be interesting to see how um, the FFA would, I guess, like that to 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 eventuate the whole debacle with uh, Riley McGree, especially. But yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of uh, him him getting a transfer overseas, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. well, that's 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 exactly what A League clubs should be doing. I think is is picking up good young players from their um, region. So, for instance, Adelaide is a South Australian kid. That's exactly what should be happening. And then those players should be. Um, you know, given an opportunity at A-League level to establish themselves. And then when a big club wants to come in and and, and, and splash some cash and buy them, then that's how it should work. We should be farming out but these I'm, I'm I'm quite curious if this if this new transfer system that will get implemented, you'd hope by the end of this year or in the next couple of years, that this will uh, sort of lead to the intra-club transfer system being implemented. Obviously, A-League clubs at the moment can't actually transfer players like with monetary value um, from club to club. Yeah, definitely. Um, like, obviously, we can sell clubs overseas right now. That that that's not a new. That's not going to be a new thing. The new thing is going to be what happens inside our country, and that's exactly that's good too because it will hopefully mean less um, of the you know the recycling of the same sort of players between each club, and it should mean yeah, more money mutual going to um, as well. Yeah, yeah, it should be it should be more money going to NPL clubs too as well because uh, if exactly. I that'd be great. As far as I understand it, there's a, there's a cap on what an A League club can pay an NPL player. Uh, for a transfer yeah. fee, and that shouldn't be the case. Football manager be, would teach you that. <laughs> yeah, it should be whatever um, it, 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 that player is worth according to the market. And if that money is then flowing down to the leagues below the A League, then that enables those clubs to start building themselves exactly, and 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 having enough capital to eventually hope about you know moving into you know higher divisions and promotion relegation and all that sort of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. So I guess. Uh, 
Uh, Vince, uh, I, I recorded the podcast with the FNR boys about two and a half weeks ago. It was actually on the Friday. Uh, we were meant to record at 4 p.m. Todd Smithies comes out with, with his report. At, sorry, we're meant to record at 4.30. Tom Smithies comes out with his report at 4.15 saying that they've reached a deal with Fox. During our podcast, you uh, you had a report with uh, well, the, the Herald, I think, with uh, who's, who's the other... who You did that story with someone else. Oh, with, uh, with Zoe Samios, who's our yes, media Zoe, Zoe Samios, yes. reporter. Yeah. Um, yes, and that was... And that occurred during our pod, so it was a live reaction. I'll send you, I'll send you it later, but oh my word, that was... It was really quite crazy to see that that day over the course of the day. I think with the a- AFR coming out with that report um, that they're going to terminate the deal, and then obviously you you uh, broke the the thirty two million dollar deal that um, the FFA signed with uh, Fox Sports uh, for the next season and a half. But uh, obviously with this winter move, which is pretty much the main focus of uh, the the news recently, what do you make of it? Um, as I guess a man covering the game for 10 plus years um, through a summer season. It's a big change. And how do you think they'll be able to adapt? Yeah, it's, it's massive. Like we're, we're living through a, an era of, of like the most change in, in Australian football since, since the A-League. And, and to be honest, the scope of this stuff that needs to change over the next five, 10 years might even mean that we're talking changes bigger than what happened back then. Um, but let's see how we go. Um, in terms of going to winter, our hand's been forced a little bit, obviously, with the um, yeah, obviously. coronavirus, um, you know, delaying our season until, I mean, it starts in a couple of weeks and then ends at the end of August, um, or I think it's the end of August, uh, maybe a little bit before yeah, that. That's but, what I um, think. And then it's like, okay, what do you do then? So you got you got to have a decent off-season after that. And also, um, Fox needs um, their cameras and their, and their manpower, basically. They're, they're going to be covering... AFL and NRL and rugby through all that period as well, which is a, it's a logistical challenge for them because they don't usually have all four codes overlapping like that, plus all their other commitments. So I think we and the PFA and the FFA and Fox all agree that December was a good time to start up the league um, again and go through to July, which is great. Um, but then we've got the other thing, obviously, in 22, which is the, the, the Qatar World Cup, which is in November and December. And so you're seeing these these two external forces, COVID and, and Qatar, basically giving us with not much choice over the next couple of years than to transition to a winter season. Um, and FFA and James Johnson are obviously very, very uh, keen on this idea. They're massively supportive. They think it's there's, there's something to, to be gained from aligning our league with Asia and also our um, local grassroots season. And I think there's something in that. And what this does is it gives them the opportunity to test it out. Which is um, which is good. Um, they obviously are leaning towards it staying that way permanently, but we will now get you know two or three years of of data and evidence to figure out if it's really worth doing and what the challenges are that we'll have to knock down for it to be a success the way that it should be. Um, so I like it. It's like taking advantage of uh, a difficult situation uh, and turning it into a positive. Exactly, and 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 I guess we'll find out how positive it really is in. Um, you know, in the next couple of years, as, as we find out how the, the market responds and how supporters and members and, and TV viewers and general media consumers respond as well. But I like to think, um, I've tweeted it a couple of times, um, basically like, we, I feel like we've reached the end of our tether in terms of the A-League, what it is right now or what it was, which is the summer product. There was only, like, we need to play more games every year. We need more clubs. Um, 
to be a proper football nation, we need to expand in that way. But there was only so much room in a summer calendar and and, 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 and so many opportunities we can maximise along that sort of realm of thinking, if that makes sense. Whereas what we really need to do mm. is figure out, okay, what is the best thing for football? And the best thing for football is to basically um, do the things that enable us to have the best possible football product. Um, and that means more games. It means games at cooler t- temperatures. It means aligning um, the A-League with the FFA Cup and Asia and the local competitions to give us all the, the promotion relegation movements, the opportunities in Asia to actually compete in the Champions League without crossing over two seasons for us in terms of player movements and that sort of thing like we've dealt with in the past. And I guess the idea is for 15 years, we've been trying to appeal to people who are not necessarily football fans by playing in summer and compromising some of the things that are important for the game to try and fit in with the other codes. What we're now doing is forgetting about the other codes and thinking what is the best thing for our product. And by doing that, you'd like to think that there's a lot of people who like football who haven't engaged with the A-League yet who might jump on board. It's, it's, it's an untested hypothesis and it's going to be really, really interesting to see how it goes over the next few years. And we'll get to see it unfold in real time, which is really, really cool. And I guess uh, on the on the winter move, MacArthur will be the first side that are playing their first season in the winter A-League. Uh, they've also been in the news recently, the Ante Milicic sort of uh, decision. <laughs> does he stay with the Matildas uh, or does he uh, join MacArthur? Soccer Twitter, uh, soccer Twitter and I guess the soccer podcast more broadly think that he could do both jobs at the same time. Realistically, he probably can't. Uh, and obviously the number of players that they've signed uh, reportedly four or five having been never played in the A-League. Uh, what do you make of uh, MacArthur's recruitment thus far? And are they going to succeed this season, uh, obviously based on their recruitment? Uh, well, I mean, it's hard to say because I, I, the only confirmed evidence we have of uh, MacArthur's recruitment is Tommy Orr, and that's it. Um, I think Tommy Orr's a good player, but, uh, you know, uh, you probably need 10 other people to fill out a football team, uh, as far as I know. <laughs> Dennis, um, Dennis Genre, I think, was yeah, it? Yeah, there's a uh, few Dennis names Genre. that have uh, been linked to them. And, and to be honest, I, I like all those names. Uh, Genre, Najar, uh, I think uh, Jovanovic, um, a couple other guys uh, who are Federici, probably... Federici, I think. Yeah, Federici. A couple of players who've never played in the league before but have good experience overseas. Um, it's hard to make a judgment call without seeing a, a 23-man squad. But what I do know is that Ante Milicic is a is a good coach with um, you know some pretty tight connections with some people who have been through the Socceroos um, picture over the last few years. Obviously, being uh, Andrew's former assistant uh, and stuff like that, so he knows these guys uh, pretty well. Mm. He's been scouting them for the national team for the last few years. He's got relationships with them, and you'd like to think that that's a good basis for a new club to build upon. For success, yeah, exactly. So uh, I guess we'll, we'll wait and see on before I make a call on how good they're going to be. But um, the other thing in the A-League is, all, is always getting your foreign players right. And that's going to be a challenge because I don't think there's ever been mm. a more difficult time to recruit foreign talent uh, than in the middle of a global pandemic. Although um, maybe there's opportunities in that too because Australia seems like uh, if you were going to move overseas well. as a... Uh, international footballer, you might want to go to a country that seems to have the coronavirus under control and, you know, that sort of stuff. Now, the economics of the league might come down with the 
the new Fox deal. I don't know what that's going to do to the salary cap. Maybe there'll be less money available to these players, but maybe they'll see opportunities with security and value that over just pure cash. It's 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 hard to say uh, without actually being in those shoes trying to recruit overseas players. So you don't know for sure. Uh, so I'm going to uh, reserve judgment until at least the uh, the squad forms a little bit stronger uh, before we know how they're going to go. And I guess my final question, Vince, uh, will we ever get the Vince, uh, the Bernie Obini podcast with uh, JFC? <laughs> uh, it might happen. I mean, he knows, the door's been open for a long time. So, uh, you know, it's on him. He's got to hit me up. I'm ready to go. <laughs> you ready to go? Yeah. Uh, great. I guess we can sort of, I'll, I'll speak to Jay and see what can happen. But I think we'd love that. And I guess... Uh, uh, JFC is a legend anyway, so and uh, <laughs> that's <laughs> it's great. I think uh, uh, the general footballing scope of this of this uh, country is it's very broad at the moment. I think with this Women's World Cup, it, it's it's going to be a huge coup for us. And I think uh, I would have rather I would have no one else except uh, yourself, uh, Dominic, and I guess obviously many other writers that will come through. Hopefully, in the ranks in the next three or so years. Thank you very much, Vince, for your time. I understand you're a very busy man. Uh, got a lot of AFL to do today. Good luck on that, and uh, we'll speak soon. Thanks, man. Appreciate your uh, your kind words. And, um, yeah, got some AFL stuff to get through today with the Giants game on tonight and a couple other things to chase up, man. But um, Do you attend those games, or do you, is it just... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, we, we go to those there, games. Cover it it's, 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 a, it's a lonely gig oh, at the sorry. moment, man, let me tell you, with, uh, with no one else really oh. in the stadiums. Um, but that's all right. It's not too bad. So... Um, yeah, man. Yeah, we'll, um, we'll see. We'll push on, man. But it's been good to chat. Really enjoyed it. And, uh, and good luck with things on board. Man. Nice. Cheers. Thanks, Officer. Thank you very much. Thanks.